0: You probably have heard of the name uh, Nobel, Alfred Nobel, uh, from the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, you may not know this about Alfred Nobel. Uh, he, he actually created the ingredients. He came up with the, with the ingredients and the invention of, of dynamite and explosives. And after he came up with this invention, he sold it to uh, the government For millions of dollars, so that they could build explosives and uh, wipe out buildings and destroy people uh, with this dynamite and these explosives. Well, it was interesting after Nobel gained all this money from the government and he gained this great notoriety for his wonderful invention, his brother ended up dying. And there was a French columnist who was uh, writing for a newspaper in France, and, and he thought Alfred had died and not his brother. And so the French columnist put together Alfred's obituary and he basically blasted Nobel for saying, I can't believe that Nobel has spent most of his money and his fortune and his life by promoting uh, just mass casualties and murder by creating this invention of (laughs) weapons and of dynamite. Well, Nobel was horrified when he read this obituary written about him when it was indeed his brother who died. And he said, oh my goodness, I need to change the way I'm doing things. I, I, I don't wanna go down like that. I don't wanna be remembered as that, but instead I, I wanna have a, a more positive obituary about me. And so he spent the rest of his life donating to good causes. He even gave $9 million uh, towards different causes in his attempt to edit uh, his role in history. And it turns out we now remember him most by that, the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I want you to put yourself in his position. What if you had a sibling who died, and the Knox News Sentinel thought it was you? What would they write about you? What would be said about you in your obituary? And better yet, I would like for you to think, instead of just worldly terms, what about heaven's angels? What are they saying about you? What would they say if you were to die Today? Are you a, someone who's really given their life to Jesus and invested treasures in heaven? Uh, or were you too busy thinking about your own life now and investing here on this earth? That's the point we're looking at today in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus talks about how we are to spend our time investing treasures in heaven and not treasures on this earth. So look with me now at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And Jesus gave these words. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you or the light in you is darkness how great is the darkness No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money The gospel of Jesus Christ So just to kind of rehash where we've been the last few weeks and talk about the context of Jesus' words, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus had just given three examples of how the Pharisees of his day were doing acts of righteousness so that they could be seen by others. They were giving away their money so that everybody would hear the the coin in the coffer as it rung, And, and they wanted everybody to know that they gave their money to the synagogue. They also would pray out loud so that everybody could hear their prayers and think to themselves, wow, what, how spiritual these people are and what great prayers they're giving. And then when they fasted, they would look gloomy and, and, and they would look disfigured and, and, and walk around kind of like they were hurting and complaining because they wanted everybody to know they were fasting and they wanted to be seen by their holiness and their holy acts. Jesus was confronting the Pharisees. He was instructing his disciples in his day saying, you should not do things for the applause of people but instead you should do things in secret and you should be more worried about the one who is unseen the one who will reward you who will reward you in heaven and not be so caught up into the applause of people and those that can see you and see your works Jesus continued building on this theme of having a heavenly mindset by talking about storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven and thinking about eternal matters and not earthly matters. And in Matthew 6, he he first warned his disciples against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and now he shifts gears to warn his disciples about the worldliness of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were really focused on money and possessions, and they worried a lot. And when I think about it in our day, we, at times, worry a lot about money and about our possessions and about life because the two tend to go together. Today, I'm going to be talking about what Jesus said about money. And in the weeks to come, we'll be talking about what Jesus said about worry and anxiety and how Jesus warns us not to let these two things take over our lives and take control in our lives. When Jesus talked about money here, he gave three different contrasts he talked about three, three different comparisons. The, he talked about two treasuries. Then he talked about two visions. And then he talked about two masters. So two treasuries, Jesus began by comparing where we put our money into, where we put our time and resources into. Do we put it here on this earth or do we do we put it in heaven? And in verse 19, he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said, don't spend all of your time and effort thinking about the here and now and thinking about what can I accumulate and what can I own and what can I have and possess. He's saying, ultimately, material things don't last. They don't last. And notice the three examples that Jesus gave and how our material things don't last. He gave three threats. He said, there are moths, there is rust, and there are thieves and robbers who break in and steal and take away from you. Ultimately, what Jesus was getting at here is he's saying our material things don't last and there are threats that will take our material things away. He first talks about the threat of taking away our clothes. Now, in Jesus' day, people would walk around in fancy clothes and that was a symbol of their wealth. Well, they had moths back in the day that would literally eat away at the garments of their clothes. These, these little moths would be able to get into these mud hut homes And they would begin to eat away at the clothes. And it wasn't just these tiny moths. They would lay these eggs of larvae. And the larvae would be these little tiny moths. And these little moths would would eat eat away at the clothes of of the people. And it would ruin the garments of the people. Now, as I think about it, I'm not really worried about moths. I'm not worried about larvae. But you know what I worry about with my clothes? I I worry about them going out of fashion. Right, I like to kind of stay in tune a little bit with fashion, not too much. But, you know, we have to change out our, our wardrobe every so often, right? I mean, that's just what you do with clothes. I mean, they go out of fashion quickly, and I'm amazed with how fast clothing can go out of fashion. The other day I was uh, seeing, I think it was a Carrie Underwood was on TV, and she was wearing shoulder pads. I was like, that's back in the 80s. You know, that fashion's coming back, I guess. But I bring that up because fashions come and go. They come and go. And so I, I think about that and I think about how our clothes come and go. I also think about ink stains. <laughs> Don't do what I've done and, and, and wash your, your uh, pen with your clothes and then dry them. You get ink marks all over your clothes. Uh, of course, we spill things on it. We, our clothes can rip and tear. We lose buttons. And then oftentimes, we either throw our clothes away and we buy new clothes or we donate it to karm or thrift stores. But the reality is, is, Clothes come and go. Material, Our materials don't last. The second example Jesus gave was he talked about rust. Rust is an easy thing for us to think about because we think about rust eating away at metal. What Jesus was actually getting at was eating away, and there's another translation that uses the word vermin. You think about rodents, rats, mice, What Jesus was getting at here was he was saying, there's going to be rats and mice that will eat away at your possessions, but they'll also eat away at your food. You're not going to take food with you into the afterlife because you have the threat of mice and vermin and rodents that will eat away at your food. Put it in our terms today, we can think about that. We can think about mice and rodents. We can also think about little worms that might eat our food, But just imagine putting your milk or your fish out on your car, just outside of the fridge for for a few days. Just leave it on your counter. What would it do? It would get disgusting. It would spoil. It would be rotten. It would be smelly. Mildew, mold would grow on your bread, for example, if you leave it out there too long. That's the point Jesus is making out here. He's saying, your food, you're not going to take with you into heaven because it will decay, it will rotten, it will rust The third example he gave, we can easily think about, and that is of robbers and thieves. In Jesus's day, people would live in these mud huts, and so it was easy for a robber to just break through the house and even carve through it and steal the possessions of the people. They didn't have banks. They didn't have loans. They didn't have have things to invest in necessarily like we do today, and so it was easy for a robber to break into a home and steal. Well, in the same case, we still have the threat of robbers. Three years ago... You may not know this, but we were on vacation. We had people break into our home. And guess what they took? They took Stephanie's most prized possessions, all of her jewelry. And they took, they took any money they could find, and they took a lot of things. They even stole from our kids' money jars that were teaching them how to give, save, and spend. They stole from the, from the save and the spend jar, but they left the give money in the jar. I said, a thief with a conscience. That's crazy. That's crazy. But I kid you not, that's what happened. We got home from our trip, and we saw that our house had been rummaged through, and we were shocked. And so guess what we did? Well, we immediately called Fleener. Mike Fleener said, Mike, help me out here. And we got Fleener security. And so in three years, we haven't had a break-in. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Fleener security. And I also have a firearm. And my message to people now is stay off my lawn. Stay off it. And so far, we're okay. But I still have the threat People could still come in and break in our house. They could come in and break in your car. Some of you have had your possessions stolen and you feel like you're vulnerable. That's the point Jesus is making out here. He's saying your possessions won't last because you have so many threats. And whether it's moths, whether it's rust, whether it's robbers, it could also be natural disasters. Fires take place, earthquakes, flooding can happen we also have wars that can happen taxes regulations etc the things that we invest in now there's no security here in this world because we can lose it tomorrow we can lose it today and so instead of investing in all the things of this world what should we do well jesus talks about how we should invest in heaven but again, he wants us to understand as we think about investing in heaven that you can't take your money and possessions with you when you die. King Tut is a, is a person you've probably heard about in history. And he literally believed that when he died, he would take all of his possessions with him into the afterlife. I kid you not. So he was buried in gold, in a gold coffin. Uh, He was was buried in this gold tomb, and he had all this gold and all these artifacts that were buried with him, because he truly believed that stuff would go with him into the afterlife. Well, guess what happened? Around 1922, there was a a discovery that took place, uh, a guy named Howard Carter, I believe it was, and he found Tut's tomb, and guess what he found in the tomb? All the gold. Tut didn't take any of it with him when he died. It didn't go with him. it was still there. And guess where that stuff is today? In a museum in Cairo. I bring that up because even though he believed, I'm gonna take all this stuff with me, it's still here on this earth. So we have to remember, you can't take your money and possessions with you when you die. I have done so many funerals, I've done a lot lately. I've done funerals from people here, people with the National Guard, and I have yet to be at a funeral that I've performed or been to where I have seen a U-Haul attached to a hearst. As was Henry Ford, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. You know, I, I just haven't seen it. I have seen open caskets with people in their, their best Sunday morning suit, you know, uh, or a nice dress. A lady I, I buried last week, uh, she was in her best Sunday dress and it was nice. But her daughter said, I, I forgot to bring jewelry. It's like, it's okay. She's not going to take it with her when she dies. Uh, but, but again, we, we think about these things and how we're going to take it with us when we die. We're not. We're not. Job said, naked we come and naked we go. One author said of this passage, life is a pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. So we shouldn't make too much of the luggage. I like that. So if material things don't last, and if there's all these threats that could take it away, what do we spend our time and our energy focused on? We, we need to spend our time and energy focused on building uh, eternal treasures in heaven And that's what Jesus got got to in verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus said the only place, the only one place that is secure is heaven that we need to invest in. So my question, and again, I'm sure you've asked it too, and I'm such a practical person. I look at this and say, "Okay, okay, Lord, what does it mean practically for us to invest in treasures in heaven? How do we do that? Like, what does that look like? Fortunately, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout this whole series, he gives us example after example of what we can do to invest in treasures in heaven. I'm gonna read some of them. Think about all of the Beatitudes, and I'll just read a few of them. Being humble and pure in heart. Showing mercy to others. Making peace and being a peacemaker. uh, Being persecuted for doing the right things. That's how we can store up treasures in heaven. Following God's commands. "...being faithful to your spouse, providing for the needs of other people and even serving them, loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, practicing forgiveness, fasting, praying, seeking God's kingdom first, pursuing the things of God, being on guard against false prophets and standing up for truth against them, believing in Jesus and seeking to do what he says." List after list after list of just practical things we can do to store up treasures in heaven. But the list goes on. I think about giving towards world missions. I think about telling others about Jesus, evangelism. I think about discipleship, teaching people uh, about God's word and how to live in God's ways. And I think about giving, giving our money towards God's kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus confronted the rich young ruler, and what did he say? Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. That's how we lay up treasures in heaven. And may it be said of each of us who are believers, when we die, Jesus looks at us and tells us, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice, well done. The works that you've done for his glory and for our good. Well done, good and faithful servant, for staying faithful and keeping the faith. That's what he's referring to. So as I think about treasures in heaven, I also think about rewards. Rewards in heaven. What does that look like? Well, we just know of a few rewards, but we know that we'll have authority over the world. We also know that there's going to be positions of authority. We're even going to be greater than the angels in heaven. And so there are going to be positions of authority in heaven for the things that we do on this earth. There's also five different crowns that we read about in scripture and there may be more in heaven. I don't know, but there might be more. We have the crown of life that's mentioned in James 1 and Revelation 2. We have the incorruptible crown that's, that's uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We have the crown of rejoicing that's mentioned in Philippians chapter 4. We have the crown of glory that's mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 5. We have the crown of righteousness that's mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I bring this up because... I don't know at all exactly how it's going to look, but what we know is that we'll receive crowns for the work that we do on this earth. And I, 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 you've heard me and Jim say this line, but what we do in life echoes in eternity. It comes from the movie Gladiator. What we do in this life echoes in eternity. It just does. And there are rewards in heaven. And there's going to be more rewards that, I, that you and I don't even know about. Now, do we do it for the rewards? Yeah, that could be a motivator. At the end of the day, though, the motivator is Jesus. <laughs> And then the Holy Spirit's gonna help us do the, do the works. And ultimately, we know in Revelation, we're gonna lay our crowns at his feet because it's all about him at the end of the day. But the point Jesus is getting at is, where is your heart? And that's what he said here in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus is saying, we're gonna have a, a sure indicator Of where your heart is by what you cherish so what is it that you cherish whatever that is that's where your heart is now I could give a sermon today about money and bore you to death and I could give you statistics and I could say hey you just need to give more and guilt you into it I'm not gonna do that because if I do that it's gonna last a week you might be motivated to give oh that's right I got to give more and so here's more money but in a week, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die out. You're not going to remember what I said a week ago or a week later. What I'm more concerned about is not guilting you into giving. It's more about your heart. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? And that's what Jesus is getting at. At the whole Sermon on the Mount, he's worried about our heart. He wants to see true heart change and true heart transformation. And that's where he's getting at here when he's saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What we do with our money will determine often where our heart goes. I've talked to a lot of people over the years who say, Seth, I have a heart for world missions. I have a heart for the poor. I have a heart for, for uh, the, reaching the lost. And the question I often ask was, well, are you giving your time and money to it? And a lot of times they say, well, no. And I will say, well, that would be a determining factor if your heart's really there, is you might want to start investing in missions, Maybe your time, maybe your resources, maybe your, your, your gifts, your, your spiritual gifts. Invest, because oftentimes our money leads and our hearts follow, oftentimes. And so that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, if most of your money is spent thinking about mutual funds and retirement and your house or your hobby, then you'll know where your heart is. I'm going to talk about savings later in just a few minutes, and it's important to do. But what I'm saying is, if most of your time is occupied thinking about the here and now, then that's a good factor of where your heart is. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. How do you determine where your heart is? Number one, what occupies your thoughts when you have nothing else to do? What occupies your daydreams? What do you dream about? What keeps you up at night? What is it that you worry most about? What do you spend your time thinking about and worrying about? What is it we know we can't be happy without? What is it that you can't be happy without? These are great questions to think about. What do I cherish? What do I treasure? I like what Matthew Henry said about this. He said, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for the last day. It ought to be the business for every day when we wake up to prepare for the last day because every breath we take is a one step closer to heaven. Two perspectives and two treasuries, earth or heaven. The second contrast I'll briefly talk about here, two visions. The eye is the lamp of the body, verse 22. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The eye here that Jesus is talking about is pictured as a window through which life comes into the body. If the window is clean and clear, your eyes are clean and clear, then you're seeing the light and it will translate to your heart and wake you up. If your window, if your eyes are dirty and unclear or foggy, then the window's unclear and the, and the light can't get in. So just darkness will seep through. Light and darkness is a metaphor that's used all throughout scripture, and Jesus talked about it often, and it's an easy thing to think about with two different visions, two different things that we can see. We either see light or we see dark. If you're seeing light, then you're seeing Christ, because he's the light of the world. If you're seeing dark, then you're seeing Satan or the world, and that doesn't get you anywhere. It's just your heart is dark. That's the point Jesus is making at here. He's saying, whatever you're focused on, whatever you set your gaze on, whatever you Whatever you think about and reflect on and look at and look to, that will determine how you live your life. So if you're looking at Jesus and keeping your focus on him, you've seen the light. You'll have light in your life. It will reflect in your life. But if you're not looking and focusing on Jesus, your vision's going to be blurred. You're going to be out of focus. You might need bifocals at that point. That's what Jesus is getting at here, and so again, as we think about this analogy here, I think about the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right, we turn our eyes upon Jesus. The things of earth will grow strangely dim as we reflect upon him and keep our focus on him. You know, the other meaning, though, behind this is there's a deeper meaning that Jesus was getting at. He wasn't just talking about our spiritual conditions and two perspectives and two visions. He's actually talking about money here in a deeper way. When you study the Greek and Hebrew, you'll find when it says your eye is healthy, the word healthy means clear. It also can mean generous. The word bad, if your eye is bad or evil, it means ungenerous. And the rabbis used to say that an evil eye indicated a grudging, cheap, ungenerous heart. An evil eye used to indicate that a person was cheap and that a person was ungenerous. And that makes a lot of sense now that I know the context because Jesus just talked about storing up treasures in heaven and he's going to talk about money or the Lord as your master. So it would make sense when he's talking about this vision here, this story, this parable, he's actually saying, hey, this is dealing with money too. Isn't that interesting? So the two visions is, do you see the light or do you see the darkness? And then he goes on to give the third contrast by two masters. And this is a common passage that many of you have read and know. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What's he saying here? You either love God or you love money. You either will serve God or you will serve money. There's only one throne. So is it Jesus who sits on it or is it money and success and power and whatever else that this world has to offer? You can't have either or, or you can't have both and, it's either or. Now, I have talked to some of you before who have, you're in a situation where you have multiple managers that you might be reporting to. You may have two managers, and, and you're, and you're kind of torn because you're saying, well, I have this manager, but then I have to report to this manager for something, and then I have to report to this manager, and you're just confused because you're, you're, you're scratching your head saying, who do I report to? And then it gets really complicated when both managers say different things to you. And then you have to kind of choose one and take a risk one way or the other. And then it can come back and backfire on you and say, well, you blame it on the manager. What happens when you have uh, two managers And and they're competing for your time and attention. And they may be telling you something different. You'll end up despising one and going with another. That's the point Jesus is making. You have one leader. And any organization really ultimately has one leader, right? Jesus is our leader. And he said, you can't follow money and Jesus. You have to choose one or the other. Now, Andy Halbert is not here today. He's in Costa Rica on a mission trip. And so good for him because I'm quoting him. This, warn, this is a warning to you that if you say something to me, I might put it in a sermon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll get your permission first. But Andy Halber said this, one of the greatest spiritual battles you will fight is in choosing whether to serve the God of the universe or the God of money. There is no middle ground in your allegiance. So are you serving money or is money serving you? Again, if money is serving you, that's a good thing. You can use money to your advantage in a very good and constructive way. Saving is very important to do. Saving for retirement, saving for a rainy day, helping your, college get through, or helping your kids get through college, helping them buy their first vehicle, maybe even their first home. These are good things to do, right? Good things to do. Now, I would say, though, you can also serve money, where money can be all that you think about. And that's the whole point where, where we see in First Timothy, where, where it's 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil because money can serve you. It can actually benefit you. Money can be a really good thing, and it can help you with some of your problems. Not all of your problems. It can help you with some of them. If it serves you, but it's when you begin to love money and want more and more and more and more and more, and when you begin to serve money, that's when you've made it your master. So I'm gonna ask a couple questions for you to ask yourself to determine whether or not you love money. Are you finding yourself never satisfied and always wanting more? Do you say to yourself, if only I had this, then I'd be happy? If only, if only I had this, I'd be good. If only I had that, I'd be good. Are you constantly daydreaming daydreaming about new possessions? A new boat, a new set of clubs, new clothes, a new home? Do you look with jealousy on those who have more? Are you scrolling through your Instagram and Facebook and saying, I wish I had that? Do you believe money will solve all of your problems? Again, it will solve some, but all, really? No. Are you wearing yourself out to get rich? And are you hoarding your money and not being charitable? If you are able to answer two or three of these, you might be serving money. Money might be your master. And that's where I would do a deep soul search and ask the Lord, how would you want me to change things, God? I want to end with this example. Randy Alcorn wrote a great book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And he, and he said, I want you to envision living in the days of the Civil War and you're from the North, but you're living in the South. You know that the North is about to win the war because you've heard things and you can just see it and feel it. But all of your money is in Southern currency and you aren't, you aren't able to get home to the North yet until they win. So what would you do? Would you keep your Southern currency from now on? Or would you trade some of the Southern currency and keep some of it until the war was over to get, get you through things, but then trade it in for Union currency So that when the Union takes over, when the North takes over, then their currency's gonna take over. It's a great analogy to think about because that's you and me right now. We know the end of the story. We know Jesus could come back any moment. We also know that we're going to die. Most of us will not live to be 100. I was talking to a pastor friend this weekend who said they're celebrating in their church today in Chattanooga a woman who just turned 100. That's pretty neat, but most of us won't live that long. Let's be honest. So we know that there's an end, and even if we get to 100, we might go to 105, maybe 110. So we can plan to save for 110, but beyond that, really? Yeah, we could maybe give to our grandkids. That's all good. Those are important things, but we don't need to be spending so much of our time thinking about where we are right now because the north is going to come. We know either we're going to die or we know Jesus will come back. And so I encourage you, just like Nobel did, to think about your obituary. What would it say? What do you want to be remembered as? Do you want to be remembered as a person who was too caught up in the here and now or as a person who really had a heavenly mindset and was a person who stored up treasures in heaven.